0: Happy Father's Day once again. Um, well, before we get into all that, uh, a couple uh, a couple of fellows are going to camp this week. We did this last week. We had a well. It is Father's Day. I um, I like being a dad. I like being a father. It's difficult, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't think it's nearly as difficult for me as it is for Ashley. Um, you know, it's just me and Sam in the house and Ashley. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but you got to be on call 24 hours a day to keep somebody alive, all right? That's what Ashley's got to do with me and Sam. That's just what she does, and, uh, while I think it's wonderful, To be a father, I I think that uh, uh, you're missing a lot if you don't uh, recognize uh, your children's uh, mother and all she does and all she cares about and all she helps you with. Um, But happy Father's Day, nevertheless. This is our first week of our Vacation Bible School series. Uh, Now, we do this for a reason. We've done it. <clears throat> for a few years um, over, over the course of our Vacation Bible School which is five days five evenings the kids are going to learn some very valuable very important lessons about what it means to follow Jesus and, and, and that comes from all different parts of scripture and what we want to do is to be able to talk to our kids or our grandkids about what they've learned uh, we want to be, be up to date on some of the things that they're learning. We want to be reminded sometimes so that after they have those lessons and after they have those discussions uh, we can begin to engage in a conversation about those very things and also maybe answer some questions that they may have. Uh, And so we continue to do this throughout the year. Now for some of you this message series is going to be enlightening, it's going to be new, Uh, maybe learning something in a way that you've never seen it before. However, for some of you, it may be a reminder, a reminder, uh, Knights of North Castle, that's our theme. And as you can probably guess, we're going to talk about the armor of God, the armor of God. And we're very excited about everything that's happening. And so for many of you, this may serve as a reminder or a refresher course. We did this series or something similar to it about three years ago, uh, actually coming up on about three and a half years ago. And uh, I'm sure all of you remember every word from those messages. So review them, look them over, listen to them often. Is that what you do, Wes? I appreciate that. Um, But this will serve as a reminder to many. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now this is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. And he uses... A Roman legionary, heavy infantry, as his example. And this is known as a prison epistle, a prison letter. Paul wrote a number of letters while he was under house arrest. He was a prisoner. Uh, I wouldn't consider him, I wouldn't think of him as being thrown in a dungeon. He was in a house. He was in a home in Rome. Uh, But he was a prisoner. He was watched over, he was, uh, to a certain extent, cared for, but he wasn't allowed to leave, he wasn't allowed to walk around, and as Paul is writing these letters, he is continuing to minister to people in Rome, and certainly these guards that are watching over him and his house. In fact, we find out years later that all of Caesar's household, save for Caesar himself, came to know who Jesus was some of the work of Paul and some of the work of these apostles. And so he is in Rome, he is using these legionaries as a model, and we're going to use these legionaries as a model as well, but we'll also use knights, knights from the high middle ages as well as the late middle ages, Uh, think 1200, think 1200 AD, all right, right about that area. That's what we're, going to learn, what we're going to use as our example as well. This is kind of when uh, Camelot would be taking place, right? Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot, you know, the Knights of the Round Table. This is about 1200, maybe 1300 A.D. I find it interesting that to be a knight, you had to be a nobleman. To be a knight, you had to be a nobleman. Now, in our day, nobleman has uh, come to be understood as a certain standing in society, a certain standing in wealth, uh, or or a certain place in the aristocracy. However, that's not what noble originally means. That's not where you get the idea of a nobleman. A nobleman is quite simply this, having or showing very good personal qualities, and high moral principles. High moral principles. That's what it means to be noble. Noble. And those high moral principles are determined by the character of Jesus. I don't determine those high moral principles because if I determined those, then yours would be different than mine. High moral principles are determined by who Jesus is, what Jesus is, how he thinks, how he acts, what he feels even in the face of the world that he loves. That's what it means to have high moral principles. Now, many people in this world don't use Jesus as this standard, but there must be a standard if we're to have high moral principles, and that is the character of Christ. There's many things that go along with the character of Christ, love being the biggest thing, but there is also certainly courage. There is perseverance. There is forgiveness with the character of Christ. That's what it means to be noble. And you probably know already what it means to be a servant. Quite simply, it's one who serves somebody else or really one who performs the duties for others to serve. If you can't do that, I'll do that. If you can't go there, I'll go there. If you can't stand up, I'll stand up for you. If you can't kneel, I'll kneel for you. That's what it means to be a servant. And what you find as you look through the history of the word knight, knight did not come about to describe a nobleman. Knight came about to describe a servant. And so what does knight mean? The noble servant. The noble servant. That's what it means to be a knight of the realm. That's what it means to be a knight described in the purity of the knight in the Middle Ages. Now, that's a little bit different than a legionary. You can see the differences on your screen as, as armor progresses and, and, and coverings progress. <coughs> but the principle between the two <coughs> is still true. Excuse me just a moment. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank You for the love that You've given us. We thank You for the opportunity to read and to understand. We thank You for the opportunity to be prepared. We thank You for the chance to be strengthened. Father, we ask that You help us, that You guide us, You help us to see and help us to apply <coughs> this incredible lesson that we learn in order to protect ourselves, but also in order to protect and, and to show the grace and love of Jesus to those around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you're in Ephesians chapter six, and I want you to picture this. <coughs> Got a frog in my throat. I want you to picture this. Paul is in his house. He is being guarded by a legionary. You see him up there, the heavy infantryman, and he is standing by the door, sort of leaning. On, on the doorpost, looking outside, watching the people pass, watching the people in the streets cross. And Paul is in the home, and he's sitting down at the table as he writes his letter to the Ephesians. And he gets to the very end, and he kind of looks up, and he sees the silhouette of this legionary in the doorway. And as he's coming to the close of his letter, he says, ah, what a great example. I'll use this man to describe what it is I'm trying to say, to describe this importance of spiritual protection when it comes to the person. And so he finishes out his letter as he's watching and seeing this soldier, this legionary in the doorway. In verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, if Paul uses the word finally, anytime Paul uses, anytime any one of the writers use the word finally or therefore or and or because, and that's where you start your study, you need to back up. You can't start with finally. You can't start with therefore. You need to back up and make sure you understand the context. Paul is not talking to unsaved people. Paul is talking to saved people. Paul is talking to those who have accepted Jesus Christ, who are a part of the church, He has talked to those who are trying to be, attempting to be, wanting to be led through life by the Spirit. He has been talking in Ephesians about teleos. Teleos. Teleos means to be complete. Teleos means to be whole, not lacking anything. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word there is teleos. Be complete as your Father in heaven is complete and holy. And this is what Paul's been describing all through the letter of Ephesians. And now he gets to the conclusion. He says, let me sum it up this way, to be complete, to be strong, to be be able to persevere. It's the summary of the letter. He is addressing those who have given their lives to Christ, and he says, if that is your condition, you're going to expect, you must expect, spiritual warfare in your home and in your house, in your mind and your heart. Spiritual warfare, that's a battle between you and evil. That's a battle between the spirit and what is evil. And if you don't have any spiritual warfare in your life, you've got to ask the question, what do I believe? If you don't struggle in your life, you've got to ask the question, what do I believe? It's very easy to avoid difficulty and hardship and trouble. Just do whatever the world wants you to do. Pretty simple. But if you're following Christ, the idea, the truth, the character of Christ is at odds with the character of a fallen, selfish world. And so, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have spiritual warfare. Because of this, Paul leaves us in this last chapter with a warning. But he also leaves us with instruction, and that instruction brings hope. Jesus does the very same thing to his disciples. Right before he's about to be crucified, he says in John 16, he he reveals some of the hardships that they're going to go through, and he tells his disciples, I've told you these things, not so that you can be scared, but so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's the very same thing Paul's saying in Ephesians, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul says you're going to engage in spiritual warfare. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Church, Jesus is one. It's absolutely certain. It's not something that's going to happen. It's something that has already happened. You realize that, right? Jesus is already one. Jesus has already died on the cross and he's already risen again. The war is already won. There's a reason why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The war is over. Jesus is won. However, that victory is not yet fully experienced by creation in all of our senses. And because of that, it hasn't come to fruition yet, this this final picture, this final leaving of the battlefield. So because of that there will be temptation in life. And these battles go on regularly. These are skirmishes after the war. We have the opportunity, the assurance. In fact, you know, I'm reminded if you if you look at some of the history of World War II, I'm reminded of, of when Hitler committed suicide. Right? His the war's over. But his last command was fight till the last man. The war's won. Jesus won it for you. But there's still that final command from the evil one, fight till the last. And so there continue to be battles as we go through this life. We have the opportunity, we have the assurance, and frankly, church, we have the responsibility to trust Jesus and His Word completely. And that trust is what Paul means when he says, be strong in the Lord. He's not talking about physical prowess here. He's talking about read the Word of God and trust what it says. We miss usually one of those. We either don't want to read or we don't want to trust. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Word of the Lord. Be strong in the truth of Jesus Christ. Because we get to trust in His strength, we get to trust in His power, not our own. Whose power? Jesus. Let me give you an example of Jesus' power. I was talking to someone just this week about uh, the book of Joshua, and it's a fascinating book as they talk about battles. And I was kind of summarizing some of the different things you see in Joshua. And one of these great pictures, one of these great examples, is Joshua fighting the Amorites or the Israelites fighting the Amorites, and and, and they've almost got them conquered. They are almost winning the battle, but they're running out of daylight. And so Joshua prays to God. He says, give me more time. Give me more time. And what does God do? You might be familiar with this story. God stops the rotation of the earth. And says to Joshua, how's that? Will that be enough? Stops the earth. And then starts it again. Paul says, be strong in the power of Jesus. That's the kind of power we're talking about. That's the kind of strength. That's this incredible example of what it means to have complete command Over your creation. The Bible reports that the sun stopped in the sky. If you read that, if you read that in Joshua chapter 10, there's only one way the sun stops in the sky, church. The whole earth stops. It's an incredible miracle, but that's the same power, that is the same strength that we get to have our hope in, that we get to have our trust in. Church, we get scared because we don't trust the power of Jesus. We get frustrated and we get angry. We get depressed, we get hopeless because we don't trust in the strength of Jesus Christ. We must rally to our king. You see, that's what the king did when the battle was being lost or when the war was uncertain. The king would charge out into the midst of the fray and the rest of the soldiers, whether it's footmen or whether it's knight, they would rally to their king, giving themselves strength and assurance. We must rally to our king. Though the war is won, there are still skirmishes, so we must be protected. And what part must be protected? The real us, the immortal us, not the physical us. Now, the physical us is an incredible gift. It's something we ought to take seriously. It's something we ought to take care of. But the physical us is just a space suit. It's so we can exist in this environment. It's a space suit. You ever, you ever, some of you remember firsthand the, the, the space race, you know, the, 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 the Mercury missions, Gemini, the Apollo missions, all of this, this stuff and this money and this technology that went into all of these amazing things that they would do going to the moon. But all of that stuff was there to protect what was on the inside, right? To serve what was on the inside the astronauts going to the moon. In fact, some of it was discarded into space. That wasn't the important thing. The important thing was what was on the inside. Paul says you got to be protected. Protect the inside, not the outside. The physical is a tremendous gift, but it means next to nothing compared to the spiritual. Paul says this in Philippians 1. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, he's talking about the physical death here, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, sure. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Even Paul is torn. He wants to get rid of the physical because he wants to be with Jesus. This part Is not the important thing. When Paul talks about the legionary, when we talk about knights, we're talking about, we're using it as a metaphor to protect the spiritual. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So in order to protect the everlasting part, Paul says this in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. I think many of us need to read that again. We need to read it slower. Put on the full armor of God. Sometimes we see put on and we read, have it put on you. Or do nothing and expect to get it. Show up and think you're going to be clothed. That's not what Paul says. He says, you put it on. Paul can't put it on for you. I can't put it on for you. This is a choice that you have to make. Putting on the protective spiritual armor of God must be intentional. There are those who help. There are those who guide. That's exactly what Paul's doing in Ephesians. But as he talks to the Ephesian church, he says, you put it on. I'm not there. I'm not in your mind. I'm not in your heart, says Paul. You put it on. Church, we don't grow spiritually. We are not protected spiritually by just existing. This is one of the biggest frustrations there is. We don't grow spiritually just by showing up. That's not the way war works. That's not the way battles work. Just showing up. Something literally anyone ever in creation can do. What makes us different? What makes us different? 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, I don't run like, so, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. That's a knight tilting at windmills. Just wasting time. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, you put it on. You take it seriously. You do the study. You do the reading. You do the application. Now, often it does require help, right? When a knight was getting suited up, He had a squire, he had a valet that would help him put this stuff on. But it was his decision. It was the knight's decision. It was under his control. It was under his command to be suited up. And he must seek it before going into battle. So Paul says, you put on, what, the full armor of God. Not just the belt although that's important, and we'll talk about all these as we go through this series, not just the shield, not just the breastplate. Put on the full armor of God. Once you put on the full armor, it's not even called armor anymore, it's called the garniture. The knight would have his pieces of armor, then he would be suited up and he had on his garniture. All of this stuff works together. In the case of the Roman legionary, if the belt was not in place, there was no place to hang the sword. If the belt was not there, there was no place to hang the battle shoes in the back. If the shield was not in place, he was next to useless when it came to the phalanx. He was the weak link if the shield wasn't there. Without the breastplate or the helmet, he was completely exposed to attack regardless of all of the other armor he might have. And the reason we, each one of us, need to actively seek, intentionally put on the full armor of God is so that we can take our stand against the devil's evil schemes. You know what we do? You know what we're in the business of doing? You know what we're in the habit of doing too much? Not taking our stand. I get sick of it. We give ground and give ground and give ground all day long. You think Satan ever hits you with a frontal attack? We give ground and give ground. It's time to take the stand spiritually. So that you may take your stand against the attacks and not just any attacks, the devil's schemes. The word there is methodea. It literally means to lie in wait and set a trap. To lie in wait and set a trap for you. The enemy you see is dangerous, we've said before, but the enemy you don't see is deadly. Second Corinthians 11, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The attacks of Satan on us, or on our home, or on our minds, our hearts, our church, is rarely, practically, never an obvious frontal attack. Never. It is always the whisper. It is always the scheme. Do you think Satan wants to destroy your life? Don't don't think that. Stop thinking that. Satan doesn't want to destroy your life. Satan wants to destroy a part of your life. Just a part. And he'll do it over and over and over again until you are comfortable with it. And then he'll move on to the next part. And he'll do that over and over and over until you're comfortable. And then he moves on to the next part. And every time we have the opportunity to stand our ground or give ground, give ground, give ground, give ground. In our minds, our hearts, our character, our homes, what we teach our kids, it's never a frontal assault. People often say, and I think it's sincere, all right? People often say that I will die for what I believe. Don't tell me that. Try living for it. Try living one day for it. That's where the battles are fought. It's a hard thing to do. Dying is once. Living is engaging in battle every single day. It's standing your ground every day. It is tilting with Satan every day. You can't do that on your own. It's impossible to do that on your own. There's a story of ten knights who were guarding a bridge. And they said they would never quit the field of battle until they've challenged every knight and would break 300 lances before they'd stop guarding this bridge. They made it halfway. Halfway. Oh, they gave their word. And they were committed to it. They made it to 150 lances and they were so beat up and they were so destroyed and they were so hurt that they quit the field. But unlike these knights, our real fight is not against other people. I'm going to have to say that again. Our real fight is not against other people. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, it's the enemy you can't see. The spiritual forces, church, in the heavenly realms are far more powerful than you are. They're certainly more powerful than I am. So what is protecting you? Where does your strength come from? For that matter, what is, what is protecting creation from complete annihilation every day? On your own, do you really want to go head to head with a spiritual force, whether good or bad, whether male- <laughs> malevolent or benevolent. doesn't make any difference. On your own, do you want to go head to head? Let me give an example. Acts chapter 19, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Shiva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered back. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but I don't know you. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered all seven of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, and that is merely a physical taste of the destructive power. What about the spiritual destructive power? Church, that's Satan's home field. You don't want to go head to head without being protected. There's no such thing as a mercy pass when it comes to Satan. Do you think Satan cares that you've had a bad day? (laughs) Or a bad season in life? Do you think he cares that you're up, you're down, you feel good? What about your kids? Do you think Satan cares that they're children? He doesn't care about that. He loves destroying what is beautiful. He loves destroying what is innocent. There was a mercy pass in a joust. That was when one night was pretty beat up. And they would begin the joust, they would begin the tilt, and he would raise his lance. And the other knight knew that he was asking for a mercy pass just to recover on this one pass. And so he would give this mercy pass. There's no mercy pass with Satan. When you're down, that's exactly when he kicks you. And this is the warning that Paul is giving us. But here is also the reassurance. Verse 13. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, and and, and better understood, the days of evil, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Again, he repeats himself. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, you need to pay attention. Here's Paul repeating himself. Put on the full armor of God. Why? What will this do? So that when evil comes, you can stand your ground. There was a belief in in medieval days amongst knights that it was their purity that gave them their physical strength. It was their purity that gave them their victories. By the way, I've learned more about medieval jousting in the past two months than I ever thought I would ever know in my entire life. And I don't think I'm ever going to use it except for right here. So I'm going to talk about this a lot. But there was this kind of crazy belief that it was their purity that gave them their physical strength. And I don't I don't believe that. I don't think the physical strength is connected to that or anything. But the concept, the general concept is not far off. It's the power and faith and trust in God that allows us to plant ourselves on the line and say, I will not be moved. You see, that's what Roman legionaries did. I will not be unhorsed, I will not be thrown to the ground in defeat. That's what the enemies of Rome faced when they came up against the Roman phalanx. It was a mobile wall that they could not penetrate. And it was made up of individuals that said, I will not be moved. In a physical sense, that's how Rome took over the world. By a bunch of individuals who stood their ground. You won't find this on your screen, but just listen to these words. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that is the word of God, and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted, planted where? By streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Put on the full armor of God, and after you have done everything to stand, after the battle, After the assault this day, after the battle this week, after the battle in this season of life, after you've had the opportunity, as Paul puts it, to fight the good fight, you will be standing victorious on the field of battle. I have experienced both sides of that. You probably have too, haven't you? Days of victory, days of failure. It's amazing the difference if you take it seriously. How you think, how you feel. A winner or a loser. Paul says, if you put on this armor every day, you're going to be able to go into battle and you will be the one standing victorious at the end. It's hard, and it's very dangerous to be standing victorious. It's very easy to just lie down. You stand victorious, you become a target, right? But you're victorious. You will finish the race, says Paul, by how? Keeping the faith. Notice, nothing that Paul has talked about so far sounds safe. None of this sounds safe. None of Paul's words here bring up images of ease or comfort. Church, if you are looking for what is safe or what is easy, you are in the wrong place, or at the very least, you're listening to the wrong message. But you know, a nobleman didn't just wake up one day and become a, a, a knight. right? He trained for it. He started out as a page then became a squire, and then became a knight. And a squire did not want to become a knight because it was easy. He didn't want to become a knight because it was safe. A squire trained to be a knight because it was good. And it was in that moment that he knew he was able to serve his king. Next week, We start to look at the various pieces of armor. We're going to combine two next week. But we start with the one piece that holds everything together. If we fail to put on this piece, we may as well leave off everything else. And we will see a great example in Scripture of three men who quite literally stood up for truth in the face of certain death church. That's noble. That's noble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to see, to understand, to apply to our lives, some of these, these warnings, but also this incredible hope and this protection and this help that you give us. We thank you, Father, that maybe we could be woken up, that we could be shaped out of this idea that we cannot, we must not, we don't have to give ground that we can trust you, that we can trust your incredible power. Thank you, Father, as we go through this series, that our eyes might be open, that we might apply, that we might learn, that we might trust in these beautiful, beautiful Christ characteristics that we can use to define ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. i happy and restful and joyful Father's Day. I don't know what you do to relax, but I hope you get the chance to do that today and experience the joy that we can in this creation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the ability, the opportunity uh, to, to read, to study, to know, and to apply an eternal word, an unchanging word, an absolutely true word now from the day it was written. Thank you, Father, that you've had a chance for our eyes to gaze upon it for the words to go into our ears and into our minds and into our hearts father help us to meditate on it to think about it to realize that what you do is for our good and your glory help us father to trust you in jesus name amen